Hello and welcome to the Caregiver Stories podcast, where we discuss all things dementia, including sharing caregiver stories. My name is Kimberly Scott, and in 2013, my mom was diagnosed with dementia at the age of 65. After many years of feeling overwhelmed, I am just now getting comfortable with saying how overwhelming the journey can be and or is. According to Google, two thirds of women are caregivers and there are millions of caregivers that go unpaid. So I want to let other caregivers know that they're not alone. I want to educate those who don't know about dementia because apparently there are a lot out there. And I wanna get folks talking about having a tough conversation about the what if your loved one is diagnosed and maybe just maybe break that dementia cycle. If you wanna share your story, your knowledge, and be a guest on Caregivers Podcast, visit thatkimberly.com forward slash convo to sign up to be interviewed. And while you're there, you can choose which platform to listen on, whether it's iTunes, Spotify, Google, YouTube, and now Amazon Alexa. So without further ado, my guest today is Miss Dottie Gandy. Hi, Miss Dottie Gandy. Hi, Kimberly. <laughs> it's nice to be back again. Yes. Thank you for joining me for our part two. Part we'll two. Call it. To part, be continued. Yes, absolutely. It might be an ongoing event, I feel. <laughs> so tell listeners a little bit about yourself. I had a long career as both a corporate executive and a business owner, traveled quite a bit, spent most of my time maybe as a speaker and a facilitator, and was still going 90 miles an hour down that path when I learned that my husband mm -hmm. had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. Mm. What year was that? He was diagnosed in probably 2012. Wow. Probably. And he was clinically diagnosed. He was clinically diagnosed. He'd always tended to be a little bit scatterbrained, <laughs> so I might have been a little slow in noticing, but his physician mm -hmm. suggested that he be tested by a neurologist, and he was, and then the neurologist suggested that he be tested by someone who specialized in dementia. And probably this was all the more scary for Tom and me because both his mother and father uh, died from dementia, Alzheimer's. So what was the clinical diagnosis? The clinical diagnosis for Tom after all the testing was that he had frontal lobe dementia, which meant that the where we carry our short-term memory mm. is right up here at the front, and that's where Tom's dementia showed up. So he didn't have a lot of the symptoms of Alzheimer's, which might trigger anger or some other kinds of behaviors. Mm -hmm. His was strictly short-term memory loss. Oh yeah, my mom has not been clinically diagnosed, but she has no short-term memory. And yeah. I don't think we realize how we really need that short-term memory. Yes. When people say, what, she can't find her car? No. Well, and that from store. a caregiver's perspective, the first time you answer a question yes. for your loved one, and then within 30 seconds, they've asked you the same question. You can either get very, very frustrated yes. or you can say there's more going on here yes. than just scatterbrain forgetfulness. Yes. And definitely being patient as a caregiver to know that they really don't understand that they're asking you the same question over and over again. I read something that you made kind of a fun game out of that. Well, I did. Tom I was either you. going to drive myself crazy, but the example I used was Tom would say things like, so what are we having for dinner? 
And I would say, well, I thought we'd have chicken pot pie. Well, that sounds good. He said, so do we have plans for dinner? And after he would do his version of this for five or six times, I wanted to pull my hair out or throttle him or whatever. But then I decided that for his sanity or his safety and my sanity, yeah. I would change my approach. So every time Tom would ask the same question over and over again, such as, what are we having for dinner? I would give him a different answer every time. It was humorous to me. It made no difference to mm -hmm. Tom yes. whatsoever, but I realized when I used this approach from a caregiver perspective, he wasn't really curious about what we were having for dinner. He was merely making conversation the only way he knew yeah, how. Yeah. And so it was my responsibility to find out how to adjust my response to his efforts to converse. Yeah. I, I feel like that's a hard thing for my family to do. They're just getting to the point where they've accepted that my mother has this. So interacting with her in that different way, like you're describing, is just recently happened. How did you see others of Tom's friends or loved ones react towards well, him? Well, understandably, over the years, most of Tom's friends sort of quietly drifted out of mm. his life. He wasn't really someone they could carry on a conversation with when it got to the point that he could no longer drive. He was unable to like meet them for coffee or join them for the men's group, etc. So it was painful to watch, but very understandable as if when you watch people kind of drift out of his life. Mm -hmm. And I, I think I shared before that the exception was a couple. this couple yeah, who stayed. Yeah, tell a little bit about that story. I thought it well, was my very best friend for many years is a woman named Jen Belcher, and she and her husband John and I and my husband Tom were friends for years. Once Tom was diagnosed, Jan and John chose not only not to walk away from the friendship, but to exaggerate it, so to speak, in a way that worked for Tom. So what they did every single weekend for probably five years up until Tom passed away, they would invite us to go to movie and dinner on Friday or Saturday night. Now, Tom loved this because at some level he sensed that he was being treated normally. Mm -hmm. He slept through the movie, but now that we have reclining seats in oh, movie yeah. theaters, that, no because deal. he didn't have the ability to follow the plot, but yeah. he was very glad to be included. But then the real gift to me was while four of us would go out to dinner afterwards, and Jan, my friend, would carry on this extended conversation with Tom. She knew how to talk in his language, uh -huh. And then I got to have an adult conversation with her husband, John. And so the gift was not only there including Tom mm -hmm. and what would be normal activities, but it was like a sanity break for mm -hmm. me as well. And they did that literally, they were there literally the night before Tom passed away and they never once walked away. But it is not unusual yeah. and it's very understandable yeah. that many people, because they're not sure how to deal or relate, yeah to that person will walk away. Yeah. And it's, I got goosebumps when telling that story. It's sad yeah. to watch and I predict that the time will come when you'll observe that in your mother yeah. and it's it's nothing against those people, no. They, you know, but it's sad to watch. Yeah, people just don't understand and her, I think her uh, closest friends, because they only see her once or twice a month and the people she plays tennis with on a regular basis see it and they, they talk to her in a way that they repeat things and they're okay with it now that they understand what's going on but it will definitely I feel like you said as time 
goes on and things get worse, there'll be very few, or maybe not, I don't know, who, who knows, well, but one, it takes a, a village. So another hopefully. interesting sidetrack to this is that for several years before Tom was diagnosed with dementia, he would go to the senior center twice a week and play what's called chair volleyball. There were chair volleyball tournaments, etc. He loved it, he was good at it, and when he was diagnosed with dementia, he was still very good at it, and so our good friends at the senior center on that team Tom continued to play chair volleyball how, right up until the time he passed away. How do you play chair volleyball? Wait a minute. I'm, I'm okay. So you, you have a volleyball, <laughs> yeah, the volleyball net, and you have six or eight chairs on either side. Uh -huh. And the deal is you play volleyball and you play it with a big beach ball, but the ground rule is butts must stay in the seat. Oh. And so you play back and forth, and what it does for seniors yeah. is support flexibility mm -hmm. and movement, etc. Yeah. And Tom was a very good chair volleyball player, <laughs> but it was his friends who, once he got to the senior center, would make sure he knew where to go. Yeah. They watched after him. Mm -hmm. And I didn't go with Tom because it gave him, this is something I can do. Yeah, I think right. at his level, it was like I didn't need a caregiver or a spouse to help me with this. What do you think was the hardest thing for him to give up? Driving, oh. driving the car. So that's kind of a... He was not ready to give up uh, driving the car, but at some of the caregiver meetings, I heard some very colorful and humorous stories about different ways. One spouse merely replaced her husband's uh, car key with another key, and he came to accept that the car just didn't work anymore ah. because the key wouldn't fit. In my case, Tom, he broke a small bone in his leg, and so he had to wear a cast for six weeks. And during that time, he, of course, could not drive. Yeah. And so I, hopefully you won't think it's conniving, but no. more conveniently, I arranged for his car to have a recall oh. from the manufacturer. Yeah. And the recall, of course, was to deliver the car to another family member. Yeah. Now, when the cast was removed from Tom's leg, he was ready to drive again. And I said, well, that's not an option anymore. Yeah. And it was very upsetting. He was very angry for about two days, refused to get out of the recliner. And after two days of that, that was enough. And he was ready to get it's back okay. in it. Yeah. But he was not someone who had the symptom of anger that mm -hmm. can often show up. He was very placid and docile and mm -hmm. friendly. Yeah. And so he finally accepted it and just went with it. He accepted general. it and... My assessment is that I could actually observe that he was relieved hmm. that he no longer had. I mean, sure, you say I'm having to admit that I can't drive mm -hmm. anymore, but there was a part of him that was very relieved that he didn't also did not have the stress yeah. of driving. So we would learn to play games in the car so he would feel included. Yeah, keeping them included in whatever it is that, mm -hmm. that you're doing or that the caregiver is doing is definitely, I have found, key to keeping the happiness within you know, the household or the moment. And you know, as a caregiver, our job is to meet them where they are, yes. not where we wish they were or where we are. Good point. We need to meet them where they are, whether it makes sense to us or not. Yeah. To me, that's our gift and responsibility for them. Yeah, I agree. It was a very hard thing to realize that I could not argue with my mother, like you're saying, meet her where she's at, but then redirection. Yes. I learned the word redirect. Yes. Did you use that skill? I did indeed, <laughs> because when Tom would ask a question like, can I go to such and such a place? 
rather than say, no, you know you're not able to do that, I would say, yeah, let's talk about that and we'll set a time for it. And then in 10 seconds, yeah. he had forgotten that. But you know, sometimes being frazzled, you might wanna say, you know you can't drive, yeah. you know, but a caregiver learns not to do that. And you do that because this person who now behaves very differently and has this horrific disease is also the same person that I fell in love with and yes. married. And that person was still in there mm -hmm. somewhere. Yeah, mm -hmm. that's a great segue to my next question. The dynamic from being, I know how hard it is to be the youngest child taking care of a parent part-time, but being married to someone and then, you know, where the roles 100% reverse, like, what was that like? Well, the biggest adjustment for me was that at the time I had a career that required me to travel quite a bit. Yeah. Traveling was no longer an option. Mm -hmm. And so, in fact, I put my career on hold or in park so that I could be Tom's full-time caregiver. And it's not to say I couldn't do an occasional speaking gig or something, because probably the last two years of Tom's life, he stayed at a dementia care facility for maybe five hours a day, oh, so five a little, days a week. And that gave me some break. time. Yeah, a little break. And it was a great environment for him. Yeah. He was around other people and they knew how to stimulate mm -hmm. people. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's always good to take care of yourself first so you can take care of others. So. Well, and like we'd shared before, one of the things for whatever reason that Tom Gandy remembered how to do was to play generally. Yes. And it's amazing, he could even keep the score in his head. And so there was a part of me that said, how is he able to do that? He can't remember what happened. But whatever it was, he could remember yeah. to play gin rummy. And so probably one and a half to three hours a day, seven days a week for the last two to four years of Tom's life. We did a lot of gin rummy. We played a lot of gin rummy and I, have I not played know. any since. Uh, no, uh, the seven decks of cards that we oh, used are I still see. over on my shelf and they have not been touched. I have quite my supply of gin <laughs> rummy playing for now. But that, it was something he could do yeah. and it again had him at some level saying, I'm doing something that normal people do. I'm yeah. playing a game. Yeah, it brings mm -hmm. him back his own mind, his own, yes. his, I guess, old self. You well, know, and the it was part self. of the go figure. How is it he can't remember the answer I gave him 30 seconds ago, but he can keep the score of gin rummy in his head? Mm -hmm. So yeah. just one of those quirky things about <laughs> dementia yes i'm very shocked at some of the things that my mom does remember i'm like you choose to remember that okay yes, yes and yes, you gotta yes. laugh at it and yes. just move on did i share the story with you before about when the emt guys came out yeah. to okay tom gandy went to seminary right out of college and although he didn't spend his year as a minister one of the things that was characteristic of tom he would never ever use a curse word, wouldn't yeah. say darn or anything. So towards the end of his life, he was having some balance issues. And so more often than not, he might sleep in the recliner in the living room so that he wouldn't run the risk of falling off the bed in the bedroom. And when he did that, I would sleep on the couch. Uh -huh. And one night, I about two in the morning, I heard this little thump and I woke up and there was Tom sitting on the floor, just grinning 
<laughs> and so I called the non-emergency 911, and if you're an Alzheimer's caregiver, you're required or should report that there's someone in the home with, so mm -hmm. that the police and the firefighters. Know. Anyway, these guys come out to take care of Tom, and there's four or five of them. And the guy in charge says, Tom, my name is Justin. I'm gonna take very good care of you. And when I get through, I'm gonna ask you to remember my name, will you? And Tom Grandin's like this, and I'm thinking to myself, there's not a chance <laughs> in hell he's gonna remember your... Anyway, they did what they did, and they took great care of Tom. They got him resituated in the recliner, and then Justin said, Tom, do you remember my name? And Tom said, no. And Justin said, I'll give you a hint. It begins with J. And my Tom Gandy, who had never so much as said darn in his life, looked this young man in the eye and said at the top of his lungs, Jack <laughs> Well, I was, of course, horrified and apologetic, but all of the MT guys were falling on the floor laughing. They thought that was the best thing. That was a funny. They said, that's his name from now on. So... There's something that came out of the Alzheimer dementia mind that had never surfaced in 28 years of marriage. <laughs> he called him one of those other names for a donkey. <laughs> but, but that it, is it, super it, funny. Like, yeah. <laughs> that it is. It is quite amazing what they remember, you know. And well, I just thought of another great story about that, about eight months before Tom passed away. I chose to do a poetry event many years before Tom this oil field guy, started writing prolific love poetry. And for Christmas one year, he gave me a volume of ah. love poetry about our relationship. So several months before he passed away, I rented a room at our church and invited all of our friends to come in. And I was going to read some of Tom's poems mm -hmm. out loud and share them. Partially, there was a part of me that said, this is a living memorial. And so Tom was there in the front row and... I read his poems and it was accompanied by music, etc. But here was the amazing thing. We concluded the evening by singing the song that Tom had requested that we dance to at our wedding 28 years earlier. And that was the song, Can I Have This Dance for the Rest song. of My Life. I love that song. Well, the musicians started singing in, the people joined in, and to everybody's amazement, they were pointing at Tom. He sang every lyric Wow. to every verse of a song that probably he hadn't heard in 25 years. Wow. So where does that come from? Yeah. That's one of the blessings mm -hmm. of dementia, the things that they remember. How many months before did you? I think I did that in April, April of 2017, and Tom passed away in November of oh. 2017. What a sweet, sweet memory. What yes. something that- It was a beautiful yes. tribute and gift to him. And he could connect to his poetry, even though it may not have made sense to them. Somehow he knew yeah. that he was connected to the poems that wow. were being read. That's awesome. Well, speaking of poems, tell us a little bit about your writing. I read that you put and you sent me the material, but you wrote caregiving and unity's five principles really be a lifeline for caregivers, which two of the five made me cry because it related back to my mom, but did you write that before or after you started your support group? Oh, well, our current support group 
that I'm hosting mm -hmm. gets started next month. Okay. So this was done way before then. A former minister at Unity, who mm -hmm. was now a senior vice president at the Unity organization, was one of Tom's best friends. And she came down and did Tom's memorial. And she shared with me that one of the biggest requests for prayer from Unity was from caregivers. Wow. So Unity's five principles literally saved me on my journey as a caregiver. And it was those five principles, for example, that had me remember to just give Tom a different answer. He's mm -hmm. trying to converse. Another thing that came out of that is that when we were driving and I was driving Tom somewhere, it was very easy for me to get caught up in the traffic and how other people were driving and I could get a little angry and hot under the collar. And Tom would look out the window and comment on the beauty of the clouds and the trees. He, could, he was not affected by the traffic. Mm -hmm. And one of Unity's principles said it is our thoughts that create our reality. So he was thinking about nature and creating a very calm perspective for myself and here I was yeah. caught up in the traffic. Traffic. <laughs> so those principles helped you most definitely refocus or redirect, you name it, so that you could be that lifeline. You could be the bigger, better person by not getting wrapped up in whatever it is that you did or didn't like. Well, spiritual occurring. principles, regardless of what your mm -hmm. particular religion is, spiritual principles can be a lifesaver in many domains. And it certainly, for me, was applicable as a caregiver to remember that at any point in time, he was doing the best he could do. that he could do. Yeah. And my job would be to find a way to reward and honor and bless people wherever they are on their path. Mm -hmm. His path looked very different mm -hmm. from other people. Yeah. But my job was to meet him where he is mm -hmm. and not live in regret or I wish he wasn't or why can't he do this or that. So Or the yeah, why me's. Or the why me's because I did a lot of the why me, why this, why now, and God always said why not. Yeah. And it was like, okay. And I think I'd mentioned in that article that my personnel, I'm a real go-getter. I'm yeah. a pull yourself up by your own bootstraps uh -huh. and you should be able to do that too. And yeah. then dementia diagnosis, all of a sudden I'm married to someone who no longer has bootstraps. Yeah. So I then became not only somebody who had to continue to pull up her mm -hmm. own bootstraps, but to work with Tom in helping him with his with his as well. Yeah, mm -hmm. that is very sweet. I definitely got a lot out of that article. Tell me a little bit about your support group and what you said it was starting next month. Starting next month, another woman who goes to Unity and has been a really a professional caregiver for the Alzheimer's organization here in Dallas. She and I are going to host a caregiver support group at Unity. We will meet monthly. Now, this is not just for caregivers of people with dementia, Alzheimer's. It might be someone like yourself who mm -hmm. is a caregiver for a parent mm -hmm. or someone who is a caregiver for someone with an invalid or perhaps yeah. a child who has a mental or physical challenge. So anything that results in your being labeled as a caregiver, caregiver. Those are the people that we want to include, and we're not just limiting it to Unity members. Anybody in the Dallas area is welcome to come, and it's part of the way that I want to give back. Mm -hmm. Yeah, it's very needed. I feel that 
from the research that I've done that caregivers, they don't do enough self-care. There is so much information on the internet that it's very overwhelming and it's just one more thing that you have to do My or find. phrase for what you're describing is enlightened selfishness. And by that I mean you are selfish for all the right reasons mm -hmm. because if you don't take care of yourself exquisitely, yeah. being a caregiver for someone with dementia will eat you yeah. alive. And actually, there's a statistic on the Alzheimer's website that says is it not unusual Mm -hmm. for the caregiver to predecease the person that I he heard or that she last week. is caring for. Mm -hmm. And it's very tempting because you say, I don't have time to take care of myself. Look at all the stuff I, well, you find a way to take care yeah. of yourself. Yeah, even if it's 30 minutes in the morning, 30 minutes before you go to sleep. Tom's hour and a half at the senior center playing chair volleyball meant that I got to go to the grocery store, run errands, do all of those yeah. things. and Get not your hair done. Yes, and not <laughs> have to worry yeah. about was Tom being taken care yeah, of. So, absolutely. oh yeah, self-care would be, in my opinion, the number one responsibility for a caregiver. Absolutely. And you said it wasn't limited to just uh, Unity members, so anyone. We're going to meet on the third Wednesday okay. of each month, so I'm not sure what that date is in May, but the third Wednesday in May okay. at 10.30 in the morning. Okay. We'll meet from 10.30 to 11.30 at Unity of Dallas, and we'll kick off our caregiver support group, and anyone in the community is welcome awesome. to be there. I look forward to it. I look forward to hearing all about it, or even if I'm in town attending. <laughs> well, I suspect that we might want to have you as a guest Yay! sometime to talk about well, what you're doing for yes. caregivers. Well, I appreciate that. I would love to do that. I wish I would have found a support group in the beginning like that. I did look. It just didn't find the right ones. Mm -hmm. I did find one later on and now there will be another one that I get to go and attend because it's something that even though I care for my mom on a part-time basis giving my stepdad and her full-time caregiver relief once a month it's still very overwhelming. But you're a mental and an emotional caregiver 24-7 yes. oh, regardless of yes. the distance. I do talk to her every and single day. And I was, a, I was a member of two different Alzheimer caregiver support groups when I was taking care of Tom and it was amazing. It was wonderful to have a safe place where you could literally go and let yes. your hair down or you could hear what was working for other absolutely. caregivers and what didn't work. It was a rich resource yeah, you don't of information you, and absolutely. support. Absolutely. And having that physical one-on-one, -on -one, one of the first support groups that I liked that I started attending in Flower Mound, I learned about the eight stages of caregiving grief. I didn't even know that that existed. And um, by the way, one of the things that I learned possibly the hard way, this is a mea culpa statement here. After Tom had passed away, I kind of remember saying to God or spirit, however you would mm -hmm. use that name, I'd say, is there kind of a Cliff Notes version of this grief thing? Because it's been a stressful few years. There is not a quick and dirty version of that, and God was not amused. Yes, I and agree. And I am grateful because the grieving journey is different for every person. Yeah. Grief never taps you on the shoulder and said, would this be a convenient time to visit? <laughs> that is a true statement. You can be in a grocery store picking up a can of peas. You can be singing a hymn on yes. Sunday morning. You can be going to a movie with friends and yes. all of a sudden this grief overwhelms and takes over your body. Yeah. And 
the gift is you better be willing to surrender. I don't did. pretend that it's not there. Yeah. And other people understand. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, and and be okay with being vulnerable and asking for help when you need it. Yes. It's it yes. was something I had to learn the this hard way. This best friend that I described to you earlier who took us to the movies and dinner with them all the time. I still call her all the time and I can say I'm having a, a rough day. Yeah. I'm having a moment here. And I can vent, I can cry, I can share, I can laugh. And she just holds the space for mm -hmm. me to do that. So as much as you needed friends and support while you were the caregiver, yeah. those friends and support need to stay with you. You need it just as much, much as you go through the grieving. And yeah. I'm not sure I'm there yet. Tom's been gone almost a year and a half and mm -hmm. from time to time those little moments. Yeah. And yeah. I'm like, where did that come from? But again, <laughs> yeah. don't ask, yeah. just, just surrender. Yeah, mm -hmm. absolutely. Well, I appreciate you so much, Dottie, for sharing with me and being willing to let me interview you and tell the story about Tom. It is very sweet, you know, just... It's I, an honor to share a story about Tom. He was a remarkable human being. We had 28 years of marriage that was wonderful. And I'm honored to any time to have the chance to talk about him and my journey as a caregiver. Well, you're just as a remarkable human being. Thank so you. Let me tell you, your story you is. You get by with a lot of help from, from your friends. friends. <laughs> Thank you, Beatles. <laughs> it takes a village, it does. Mm -hmm. But the fact that you did what you did and now you're paying it forward by, you know, sharing your story, it's a gift from God that I feel, you know whatever the belief is that people believe you know i do feel like things happen for a reason and definitely connecting with you being my new best friend as we <laughs> say yes, sir, as we go down this road together and uh, yeah. you know and i will say it again i am available to you yeah. 24 7 as you continue your journey as a caregiver for your mother well i appreciate that so much so thank you all very much for listening and again thank you Dottie, for joining me today. Until next week, remember sharing is caring and to the caregivers listening in the words of Dottie Gandhi, you have my undying love, gratitude, and admiration. And to those that have not had that tough conversation yet with the family about dementia, please start talking about the what if. What if you live? What do you want done? What is your plan? If you want to listen to more episodes, go to thatkimberly.com to choose where you want to tune in, whether it's YouTube, iTunes, Spotify, and now Amazon Alexa. You can also follow me on Facebook, Insta, Twitter, and LinkedIn. Thanks again, Dottie. My pleasure.